We are in for a great treat this weekend. A very special friend of Cathedral of Faith, Dave Sawkins, is coming to bring the word of the Lord. Dave not only pastored one of the largest churches in the Bay Area for many years, he was the chaplain of the San Jose Sharks, he's been a police chaplain, he's been investing in William Jessup University. In fact, most recently, he put together 14 feeding centers in Mexico that puts out 10,000 meals a month. Pretty amazing, huh? He's a man who lives out the Word of God, and what a great blessing to have him here this weekend. He's not only a great leader and a great pastor, a great community person, but he's been a great husband for 53 years to Sheila and a proud grandfather and grandfather. But most of all, he's been a really good friend to Cathedral. We met Guy Satilli through him where we're working with in Italy. He's been a great friend to Pastor Ken and Pastor Kenny. You're going to hear a great word today that's going to impact your life deeply. So let's put our hands together and welcome Pastor Dave Sawkins. Ah, man, thank you. Thanks, Wayne. Well, good morning. I'll let you be seated for a moment. <laughs> Somebody said, how did you get here today? And you need to know it's Pastor Ken Lisa's uh, 36th wedding anniversary. So give them a hand. So they're uh, taking a little time. And uh, you could see that in that bulletin that you didn't get. So uh, now... Uh, now, Pastor Ken told me two things. He, it was really interesting. I was down in Mexico doing the mission. He, he sent me a text. He said, I need for you to preach this weekend. I wrote back and I said, I don't think I'm going to be in town this weekend. He wrote back and he said, you don't understand. It's my anniversary. You're preaching this weekend. So, uh, so we just kind of changed the, uh, uh, the plane reservations and came on. And he told me two things. And, and the first one, he says, when you come, I want you to preach like Jesus. Now, that sounds nice, but I know nobody preaches like Jesus. And so I kind of took that culturally. Now, in the day of Jesus, if you were a rabbi, you would sit down to teach and everybody else would stand while you were teaching. Now, Wayne's got it. Now, this is my third service, so I know why. It doesn't look like we have very many takers uh, with, with, that, uh, with that situation. The other thing he told me, and particularly in this service, because there's not another service after this, he told me to preach long. Now, he told me to do that because he said that uh, uh, you would appreciate him when he got back, you know. <laughs> it's just great to be here. They always love coming here to church and just to sit under Ken's teaching and now to be able to be up here. Now, listen, every occupation has things that, that the person who has that occupation or career or vocation, they do that other people don't do. For instance, astronauts get to go into space. The rest of us don't really get a chance to do that. And the same things with the pastorate. In the pastorate, which I've been in for a long, long time, we do some things that the average person doesn't do. For instance, I just got back from Mexico on the 4th of July. But while I was down there a week ago last Friday, uh, friends of mine came down because they wanted to have a wedding on the beach in Cabo. And so I had a wedding on the beach in Cabo and officiated the wedding there. Beautiful site with the Pacific Ocean behind it, a big resort in front of us. It was just delightful. Now, on the other end of that, I get to officiate, and so does Wayne and Kurt, and those who are in the pastor. Uh, we officiate funerals. And when we go to funerals, there are some passages of Scripture that it's not unusual to hear those quoted or read. And one of those is Psalm 23. Any of you know Psalm 23? 
The Lord is my what? Shepherd. And I shall not what? Want. Now you get to the end of it, and I will dwell on the house of the Lord for? Forever. See, we like those words. And the end words of Psalm 23 are often read at funerals, particularly Christian funerals. And because of that, it seems to me that we can look at Psalm 23 as being a psalm for the dead instead of the psalm for the living. And what the Bible really says to us is the Psalm 23 is a psalm for living. And what David has said is that in his Old Testament context, he says this is what it's like for a Christian to live with Jesus. And so he starts out and he says, the Lord, now capital L or small l? Capital L. The Lord is my shepherd. It's really interesting, if you get into the New Testament, quite often when the writers write about Jesus, they say, our Lord, and then what's the next word? And Savior. Savior comes second to Lordship. Because the apostles understood that if it's, nice, it's great to have fire insurance. It's great to say my sins are forgiven and I, I, I'm going to heaven, I'm not going to hell. But listen, that comes through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when you proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, what has happened is that you have transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of what? Light. And you have taken yourself off to the throne of your heart, and you have put Jesus on the throne of your heart, and he's become the lord of your life. Now, how do you spell lord in English? L-O-R-D. No, that's what, capital L? Oh, no. How do you spell Lord in English? You spell it capital B-O-S-S. <laughs> you catch that? You have somebody in your life that you put on the throne of your life that says, I want you to do this. I don't want you to do this. I want you to experience this. I don't want you to experience this. You put somebody on the throne of your life, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, who has a life direction for you that will bring you blessings, and he becomes our shepherd. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I have come that you may have life and have it what? Abundantly. So he's a good Lord, and he's a good shepherd. But I have to tell you something. When you proclaim Jesus is the Lord of your life, the people in here will applaud just like we applauded the people who were being baptized that we saw on the screen, the teenagers and the Latino uh, congregation. We will applaud that. But the world out there doesn't applaud it because the world wants to be your Lord instead of you having Jesus as your Lord. We saw this in the early church. In the, in the Roman times, Caesar considered himself a God and the Lord. And so one of the greetings that would take place in the Roman times is that you'd be walking towards me, I'd be walking to, towards you, and one of us would say, G, or would say, Caesar is Lord with a capital L. And the other one would respond, yes, Caesar is the Lord with a capital L. So two Roman guys are walking close to each other. One's talking about the lordship of Caesar. The other one's talking about the lordship of, of Caesar. And then all of a sudden, I give my life to Jesus. And you're coming towards me, and you say, Caesar is Lord, capital L. And I can't give you the response anymore. I can't say to you that Caesar is the Lord, because now I know that Jesus is the Lord. And this set up conflicts between the Roman government and Christianity because of this issue of lordship. And let me tell you, it is still setting up conflicts. 
All around the world, there are Christians being persecuted because of their declaration of the lordship of Jesus in their life over any government or people or boss or any other group, and Jesus is Lord. Can you say amen to that? When you do that, yeah, give them a hand. When you declare that, darkness doesn't like it. So it sets up a conflict. And so God says, I got to grow you up. And so he says, I'm going to give you a shepherd. And what's that shepherd going to do? Notice that the next passage is there. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, he meets my wants. Now, what's the thing that happens when, when, when he, he, I shall not want, what God wants me to know, what Jesus wants me to know, is that he knows how to take care of me. Now, how many of you have kids? Can I see your hands? Well, you might have done what I've done. And when my kids were growing up, we had these little water wings. You know the little water wings? You'd blow them up and put them on their arms and that. And I would get the kids up on the side of the pool. They had little water wings on. And I'd clap my hands and I'd say, jump. And they'd look at the water and they look at me. And I'd say, jump. And they look at the water and they look at me. And then I'd finally say, jump. And they would jump and I would catch them because I wanted to know that I loved them and was going to care for them. I'd take them home, and I'd put them on the edge of the table, and I would say, jump, and they'd look at me, they'd look at the floor, I'd say, jump, they'd look at me, and they'd look at the floor, and then they'd jump, and I'd move my hands, and they'd hit the floor. No, I wouldn't do that. Why? Because I wanted them to know that I would provide for them. So let me say to this, if you're a brand new Christian, God wants to prove to you right away that he knows how to take care of you. All right, so ask a lot. (laughs) Just ask a lot. Because God's a God who's faithful as promised. He wants you to know that this is it. But let me tell you something here. Provision is not the mark, is not the mark of spiritual maturity. The mark of spiritual maturity is obedience. Is obedience. So he starts out saying, I'm going to take care of you, but that's not the mark of my spiritual maturity. So that's when he says, I will make you lie down in what kind of pastures? Now, doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that sound nice? See, when we think about Psalm 23 and he's our shepherd, he's going to make us lie down in green pasture, we think of all these warm fuzzies. We see the picture of Jesus with a lamb in his arm, and we think so good about that. But let me tell you, I'm not here to preach a warm fuzzy Psalm 23 today. I'm going to talk about a more militant, Psalm 23, because sheep don't eat lying down. You with me? They don't eat lying down. Now, what happens before the Jesus comes into my life? I've been living by the flesh. I've been living by the flesh. I've been living in the natural, and I can't live a Christian life in the natural. I can't live it in the flesh. And so what God does is he leads me out here to his green pastures and he makes me, makes me lie down. How many of you have ever had a two-year-old in your home? All right. If you've had a two-year-old in your home, you know these words. I do it. And we've been I doing it all of our lives. And Jesus says, down. Because you can't do what I want you to do 
in the flesh. And so a number of years ago, I was on a plane. I had some of my staff that we'd gone to a conference in Southern California. And our, our, our children's pastor, Renee, had gone along with this. And she had a, about an 18-month-old with her by the name of Kaylee. And we thought, you know, for her, we needed to bring Kaylee along. And so we go to the conference, and we're enjoying Kaylee. But it's time to come back, and we get on the plane, and it's uh, a me, and there's kind of an empty seat. So the, we try to put the baby there, Kaylee there, and, there, and then there's Renee, and Renee picks her up, and how many of you have ever tried to put a two-year-old to sleep to tell you, or an 18-month-old who needs a nap but doesn't want to take a nap? We were in one of those situations. This child desperately needed a nap and desperately didn't want to take it. And so she was crawling all over her mom. Her mom was trying to put her on her shoulder. Her mom was trying to do it. She was squawking and trying to make all kind of noise. And we know everybody on planes like to have cray, crying babies right next to them. And so all of this stuff is going on. And so I, we got in the air, and I saw that Renee wasn't being successful. And my grandfatherly kind of side of me kind of kicked in. And I looked over at her, and I said, give her to me. And so I took her into my arms, and I kind of bundled her up, and I, I whispered in her, I said, Kaylee, you're going to sleep. And her arm shot out, and I grabbed that arm, and I tucked it back in, squeezed a little tighter. I didn't choke her. I just squeezed her a little tighter, you know. And then, I, then the, leg, the leg shot out, and, and I grabbed the leg, and I hold it, held it a little bit tighter. And every time somebody tried to shoot out, I just pulled it back in, and I said, Kaylee, you're going to sleep. Well, that's what God has to do with us. Because we can't live this life that he wants us to live in the flesh. And we keep shooting out arms and legs saying, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm... It doesn't work that way. And we have to learn how to rest in Jesus. And so he makes me lie down in green pastures. And then, because God knows the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, then he begins to lead me beside the quiet waters. Now listen, sheep do not drink water that's running too fast because they're skittish and it scares them. And so he leads us beside the gentle, the quiet waters. Now, this is a gentle beckoning. Now, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, if I believe in him, that out of me will flow rivers of what? Living water. And John puts a kind of a, a, a note, side note in here, and he says, this is what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. So the water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So all of a sudden, Jesus is beckoning me, showing me how to live by the Spirit instead of by the flesh, because I can't do this thing by the flesh. And so he's gently beckoning me to come along and to walk with him. Now, now Jesus says this. He says, he's a good shepherd, and he says, and my sheep know my what? Know my voice. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. And so we get to begin to learn how to live in the Spirit, to hear the voice of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit to the glory of God. And then the next part of that verse says, and he restores my soul. By the way, God is in the restoration business. A pastor friend of mine said a long time ago, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like that. So all of a sudden, he restores, he begins to restore my soul. Now, why do I need to be restored? Because I'm, I'm broken. Sin has left the brokenness in my life. And here's what I discovered. That when I first give my life to God, God is here, 
and I believe that I'm here. And then I begin to walk by the Spirit, and the closer I get to God, the more that I realize that He's here, and I'm here. I am much more broken than I thought I was. That's why Isaiah says that in the presence of the Lord, compared to God, my righteousness is like filthy rags because he is here and I'm really here. Now, very kindly and very gently, would you just look at one of the persons next to you and just very kindly say to them in the grace of Jesus, you're broken. Just, just look at somebody and say, you're broken. Listen, in the quietness of the night, in the middle of our tears and our frustration, when we're in the midst of the struggle, we know it's just not everybody else, it's us. There's a brokenness in us. And we cry out to God, restore me. God said, what did you say? And I said, restore me. He said, what did you say? I said, restore me. He said, do you mean that? And I said, restore me. And notice the next part of the, the, the passage says, and he leads me in paths of what? Righteousness for his namesake. Now, when he leads me beside the still water, that's a gentle beckoning. This word for lead, it's a different word that means he's going to grab me by the nap of the neck. And he says, what do you want? I want to be restored. And he begins to lead me. He grabs me by the nap of the neck. And he begins to lead me in paths of righteousness for what? For his namesake. Let me unpackage that for a moment. What does it mean for his namesake? God's reputation is bound up in his children. And when you live righteously, God is seen as a righteous God. And when you don't live righteously, then that, that works against God's reputation. So what does it mean, pathway of the righteous, the way of right living? By living by heavenly values instead of earthly values. Living by a family value that comes from God instead of a family value that comes from a broken family. And he begins to lead me in these paths of righteousness. And let me tell you, the path of righteousness for everybody is a little different. It's not that it's not the same, same family values, but there's different things he's going to call us to do. So a number of years ago, one of the contractors that we had in our church was he and the guys were working on a roof of a new complex in North San Jose, and a, a pickup uh, drove up, and it had a wheelbarrow in the back of it, and a guy got out of his truck and took the wheelbarrow out and, uh, and, and put the wheelbarrow there, got back in his truck and drove away. And, he, and, the, and the wheelbarrow was just sitting in the middle of the road. And the guys were saying, I wonder what that's all about. And so they got off the roof and they went down to this wheelbarrow and there was a note in the wheelbarrow. It said, I stole this from you two months ago, but I've given my life to Jesus and I brought it back. <laughs> okay. You know, it's whatever it is, whatever God's got going for it. God will say that you got to do this. I had a guy in the church that came to me, and we had an evening service. He says, I won't be here at church tonight, Pastor. Pray for me. I said, well, what's up? He says, I'm going to the Nazarene church. I was here in town. 
I said, well, why are you going to the Nazarene church tonight instead of coming here? He said, well, you know my background. I said, yeah, I know your background. He said, well, you know I was a druggie. I said, yeah, I know you're a druggie. He says, when I was a druggie, we broke into the Nazarene church and stole all of its sound equipment. And he said, the other day, God said, you got to get it right. So I called the pastor and repented and wanted to figure out how I can take care of this. And the pastor says, the only way you can take care of this, you got to come to church Sunday night and repent in front of the whole congregation. And tell them your story. Listen, whatever it takes to get on the path to righteousness. I had a woman friend that her husband turned into an alcoholic. And they had all kind of conflict till the day that she finally left. She just left the house. Two months after leaving the house, leaving the house she had a marvelous confrontation with Jesus Christ and gave her life to the Lordship of Jesus. Yeah, just a, it was a great story. And, and the first thing, as she moved into this righteous part of us, the first thing God said to her, go home. She, <laughs> she said, you got to be kidding. I'm not going home. And he said, you go home. She said, I left, and I'm never going back. He said, you go home. And so she packed up all of her stuff and one day got to the house and opened the door and carried her stuff in the house and went up to the bedroom and her husband was up there. He was getting dressed to go someplace and, and he said, what are you doing here? She said, God told me to come home. <laughs> he said, I don't care. He, she said, I'm, I'm going to stay here whether you want me to. And he looked at her and said, well, I'm going on a date tonight. She said, you go on your date. They were still married. He said, you go, she said, you go on the date. God told me to come home and when you come home, I'll be home. Now, six months later, he gave his life to Jesus. Wonderful. Yeah, give God a hand. Wonderful things happen. So I got to tell you this. That path to righteousness for you, where God wants you to do something, is different than the way he wants when you do it, but he puts us on that path of righteousness for his namesake. And part of that path of righteousness leads us to the valley of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I fear no evil, it says in there. What's all that about? Well, the first part of it is about faith. You know, if you go out here to NASA, you can be put in a flight simulator where you can't see anything on the outside and you have to learn how to fly by the instruments. Now, what happens? God puts me into a dark place where I can't fly by my own knowledge, by my own sight, but I have to learn how to live by walking in the Spirit, in a sensitivity to the Spirit. Yeah, give God a hand for that. Because he's going to teach me a way of faith. So let me tell you. I've been down in Carlsbad Caverns. If you haven't ever been there, you need to go sometime. There's a self-tour you can take, but if you can take a guided tour, take the guided tour. Why? Because if they get everybody out of there during the guided tour, they'll get you almost 80 stories below ground. And your guide will say to you, hang on to something. And you know something's going to happen. And he or she will look at you and say, hang on to something, because in just a moment, we're going to turn out all the lights for one minute. My wife was right here. But when you're almost 80 stories underground and they turn out the light, dark is dark is dark is dark. And I couldn't see her at all. Jim White, the guy who kind of discovered the Carlsbad Caverns, got down there one time. His light went out, and it took him three days to find him. And within a matter of 48 hours, really a little over 24 hours, if you are in total darkness, you don't know if you're standing up, sitting down, walking on the ceiling, and walking on the ground, because you just lose all senses. 
And so you get down in here, and God said, Fear not, for I am what? I am with you. Now, I'm going to take you down here because you're going to have to learn how to walk by faith. Now, this is what happened to me one time. I would pray, and I'd see light. I'd pray, and I'd see light. I'd kind of look into the heavenlies and feel God's presence. And one day, I got down on my knees to pray, and it was dark. Got down on my knees the next day, it was dark. Got down on my knees the next day, and it was dark. Got down on the knees the next day. And after several, several days of this, I finally cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord, where are you? And then God whispered in my ear. He said, uh, have I always told you I will be with you, that I'll never leave you or forsake you? And I said, yes. Have I told you that I've listened to you when you pray? And I said, yes. And he says, then what matters does the darkness? If you believe in me, you believe in me. See? See how that works? So you're going to get down in that valley. You're not going to see God. You're not going to hear God. You've been holding his hand when you've, gone, when you've gone into the valley. But after you hold his hand and in total darkness for a while, you don't even feel that he's there. But God wants to learn, teach you how to learn to live by faith. And so what a time comes when you can't handle this anymore, and all of a sudden you cry out to God, and God leads you out the other side. And when he leads you out the other side, you'll come out with these things, his rod and his staff. Now, the staff is the shepherd's crook. You'll come out with the presence and the guidance of God. The rod is a symbol of authority. The shepherd would put it out, and the sheep would jump over it, and he would count the sheep as they went into the sheepfold. But if the enemy attacked, the wolf or the lion or anything would attack, then the rod was used to beat off the enemy. It's a symbol of authority. Now, no other name has been given to us that is greater than the name of what? Jesus. And that's your word of authority. That's your word of authority. It's in the middle of the valley that you're going to realize that God's presence is going to be with you. His guidance is going to be with you. But he's going to give you a rod of authority, the powerful name of Jesus, to speak against the demonic things that come against you and your family in the midst of this world. And then he's going to lead you out of that valley with his presence and his guidance and his authority. And he's going to put you in a place that is a banquet table in the midst of your enemies. Because there are enemies against the things of God. And he's going to make even your enemies to be at peace with you. Now, you got to hear this. God never intended for Christians to be hothouse plants that can only live in a special environment. God implanted for Christians to live in a real world with real conflict against spiritual darkness, but to survive because I have his guidance and I have authority. And then the next thing he gives me, he anoints my head with oil and my cup over what? Flows. Now, listen, don't let Satan steal your anointing. You're going to come to the valley with the guidance and the authority of God. He's going to put you into a real world and in that real world, he's going to anoint you. Listen, anointing is not just for pastors. It's for every child of God. You have an anointing. And you receive the anointing that comes from the Father, and your cup will overflow. Somebody said, what's an anointing? Well, somebody said it to, to me this way a long time ago. He says, anointing is like having 50,000 volts of electricity. You can light up the whole city, or you can kill everybody. 
So when you misuse your anointing, the power that God has put in your life to accomplish the things that he wants you to accomplish to his glory, if you misuse that, people are going to suffer. But when you use your anointing to God, your cup is going to be full to overflowing. Now, how do I understand that overflowing? Well, my dad was an Englishman, came from England. And we'd have tea in our house. And my dad would put some cream in there because that's the English way to drink tea. And he would put some sugar in there. And then he would fill up the cup with tea to the very brim. And then he would start stirring the cup. And when he stirred the cup, it would overflow into the saucer underneath. And the old English way is that then you would pick up your cup, you'd blow on the tea that's in the saucer, and you'd drink from the saucer. Listen, when you're working in the anointing that God has given to you, your cup is full and you just keep drinking from the saucer. And because of your anointing being upon you to the glory of God, other people are going to be blessed and their cup is going to overflow and they're going to drink from the saucer. And then surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. Now, you know how to say this. God is good and all the time. God is good. God's going to be following me. Now, now where, is, where are goodness and mercy? Where are they? In front of me or behind me? They will follow me all the days of my life like two puppy dogs wagging their tail. Here's what I mean. I've got a problem I have to face. I've got a faith obstacle in front of me. And I said, God, I don't know if I can go through this or not. And God says, look behind you. And I look behind me. And there are these two puppy dogs, goodness and mercy, wagging their tail saying, God took you through this. Goodness and mercy wagging their tail. God took you through this. Goodness and mercy wagging their tail. God took you through this. Goodness, mercy wagging their tail. And then all of a sudden I got this new one up here. And I see these two dogs back here wagging their tail, and I have the faith to face this obstacle. And when I get done with that obstacle, I look back here, and they're wagging their tail, and I get another obstacle, and they're back here wagging their tail. But I got to look around and be reminded that God is taking care of me through all the obstacles. Amen. And then I come to the last obstacle. To the last obstacle. The Bible says this, God gives me living grace, and he gives me dying grace. The last obstacle is death. And I said, God, you know, I like this world. It's the only thing I know. I like the green trees and the grass and the blue sky. I like being with my family. I like all those things. And I come to this last obstacle and Satan tries to make me afraid and I look behind me and there's those two puppy dogs wagging their tails. And God says, I have a forever home for you. And you will live with me forever and you will dwell in my house. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, what? You may be also. And so I come to this time. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I've wondered about this from time to time. Because if you come to my home to stay at my home and stay in my guest bedroom, when you walk into the guest bedroom, you're going to find a card on your pillow. And that card is going to say, Welcome to the Sockins home. Enjoy your three day stay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Three days of you eating from my refrigerator. Three days of you sitting in my favorite chair. 
and the men will understand this. Three days of you playing with my remote is about all I can handle. That's the fleshly side of me. That's the natural side of me. And so I say to God, I said, how shall I dwell in your house forever? And God just quietly said, one of us is going to change. (laughs) And then he said, I'm the God who doesn't change. (laughs) Yeah, you got that? So here's what happens. I get over here to dwell in the house of the Lord forever because I started over here and I came to the Lordship and the shepherding of Jesus Christ. And because I've been transferred out of darkness to light, I've already died spiritually in Jesus, now I can live for heaven, forever in heaven with Jesus because I passed from death to life. It all starts here. Now let me say this to you. This is your beginning place and that's why you're here today. You're not here by accident today. If you've never said to God, God, I know I'm broken, I'm sorry. I believe that Jesus is your son and I invite him into my life to be my Lord and to be my forever shepherd. I want to be your forever child. If you've never said that, today's your day because that's the beginning of the Christian life. I come to the Lordship and the saving of Jesus And he begins to show me that he'll take care of all my needs. And he begins to tell me it's not done by the flesh. It's only done by the spirit. And he puts me on a path of righteousness. And he anoints me. And he gives me authority. And he gives me guidance. And as I get to be my age, more and more I look behind me. And I see goodness and mercy wagging their tails. Knowing that God will take me from this obstacle past the obstacle of death that I can dwell with him forever. Can you say thanks to God for that? Can you just give him a applause for that? So if you've never done that, why don't you just say, dear God, that's what I want. I want Jesus to be my Lord and I want to be your forever child. And if you tell him that, He'll take it from there. He'll breathe his spirit into your life and he'll begin to guide you in the path of righteousness. Now, Father, I pray that for those of us who are here. There are just hundreds of us here this morning that we've already crossed that line from darkness to light from who's on the throne of our lives. But Father, there are others here that you brought here purposely this morning because it's their day. Today is their day of salvation. And if that's you, why don't you just tell God that you want to belong to him forever and that you receive Jesus into your life, believing that he is your Lord and Savior. You ask him to come in and he'll begin to guide you from there. So as you take that step of faith, we pray God's grace and blessing upon you to your good, to your abundance, and to his glory. For we pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. God bless you.
What a powerful word, not just a psalm for dying, but a psalm for living. Let's say thanks again today for ministering life to us today.